Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Novogratz, and this is Next with Nova. Emily. Hello. Those of you who don't know Emily, she's also known as People Pleaser, and she's a kick-ass NFT artist. You wrote an article, uh, you know, how crypto changed your life, and it's a beautiful place to start. So why don't you, a little recap so we can start understanding your story. For sure. It was an op-ed piece that I had wrote for Fortune magazine, which, by the way, I brought you a gift. That, that is awesome. <laughs> There's a little message for you. To be on the cover of Fortune before you're 30 years old is pretty damn cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not on the cover, but I have... You are the cover. <laughs> you are the cover. It's better than being on the cover. We are all on the cover. I would like to think of it that way. This is meant to represent the entire crypto community. At least I hope so. But anyways, um, so yeah, I had the uh, fortunate opportunity to collaborate with Fortune Magazine. And then Robert Hackett, who is one of their senior um, writers, asked if I could write an op-ed piece. Um, and then I had never written one before. So <laughs> I was like, sure. And I think it was cool because I had always sort of just internally thought about how it's crazy that, you know, in the past year, my life has changed so much, mainly because of crypto. I did sort of passively get into it in 2017. I was just um, basically buying shit coins <laughs> in 2017. Nice. And then, uh, but, you know, it was always separated from my career, right? And then so sort of in my op-ed, I was just talking about how uh, around last summer, uh, I was actually supposed to go work at Apple. Dream job. Parents, <laughs> parents proud of you. Every, yeah, everyone was very excited. And then uh, because of the pandemic hit, um, they rescinded my offer and then terrible so. richest company in the <laughs> world and they would rescind the offer on young grads i mean i think it was I more boycott apple <laughs> it, it was actually more because of, of the uscis shutting down during the pandemic and uh because they needed to get me a visa and everything and then so the uscis during that time just stopped processing. donald trump did not like Asians. <laughs> yeah i guess <laughs> he, just, he just didn't want me to be here that's fine um and then so i ended up unemployed and this was the first time you know since college that I was just without a job or plan and obviously I was mainly just concerned about you know paying my bills paying rent and everything and then um so then during this time I was just applying to all kinds of jobs literally even jobs that weren't even you know matching my skill set or anything I was just trying to you know sort of apply for anything and then I was just getting rejected from everything I think it was just a tough time because of the pandemic and everything and but to just make myself feel more fulfilled and productive during this time I started creating artwork uh, in my free time and just to make myself feel a bit better as so if did I'm you not... consider yourself you know you were a graphic designer did you consider yourself an artist when you were a graphic designer is there like a shift that happened I always considered myself an artist. I think everybody is to some degree. <laughs> I know that sounds cheesy and lame or whatever, but I do think that everybody is creative, right? It doesn't yep. matter what kind of medium you're using. If you're a coder, you're still a creative person, you know? And so um, I've always been a creative soul, obviously, but you know, previously, I think the way I saw it was just I was training my skill set to execute somebody else's creative vision. And then during that time when you know, what think people think of as an artist was just me executing on my own creative visions. So just using my skill set to translate the creative thoughts in my brain onto a canvas or digital software. And so anyways, during this time, I had created my art account called People Pleaser. 
and uh, it was just sort of a self-expression. So um, let's hobby let's thing. stop for a second. <laughs> like people pleaser. Like I'm a people pleaser, uh, and so I, it resonates with me. And I've got a daughter that's a people pleaser, but like why people pleaser? Just like you said, it's just my personality. That's just who I am. And uh, when I was making the account, uh, it was just one of those moments where I really needed an idea, and I didn't want it to be. Like, oh, I have to put my phone down and think about it for another two days or something. I just wanted to just create an account right then and there. You know, it was one of those things where I was like, maybe I just create one now. I can always change the name later or something. I mean, that just didn't end up now happening. Now when you're like a 98-year-old woman and your grandkids <laughs> or great-grandkids are around, they're going to be like, people pleaser. Yeah. It stuck. <laughs> it, it, it literally just stuck. I didn't even have time to change it or even improve it or anything. And then here we are. I love so. alliteration, so that's a good, a good choice. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so then I created that and then was just sort of, you know, using that as a form of self-expression and just to buy time while I was applying for jobs. And then that was also happened to be the summer of DeFi. And so one of my good friends who was really deep in the crypto space, which I didn't even know this about him, uh, reached out to me that summer and was just like, hey, do you know that something really crazy is happening in crypto right now? Because, you know, obviously through the 2019 like bear market, I think a lot of people had just kind of forgotten about crypto. And then he's like, but something really crazy is happening. You should check it out. And then so I went on crypto Twitter and then was just browsing around and stuff. And then I realized... A lot of people are promoting things using memes, but nobody has, you know, they're all made using like Microsoft Paint or something. And not, none of these are actually really high quality promotional assets. And then so I was just as a joke said to my friend, I was like, oh, I'm so desperate for a job or income. They should just pay me to do these memes or something. I could totally do it better. My friend took that to heart and then DM'd um, somebody from Urine Finance at the time. And then basically they saw my inst art Instagram and then reached out to see if I wanted to collaborate on something. And then I made my first sort of animated short for DeFi and then the rest is history. And so my op-ed in Fortune just kind of talks about how not only that crypto and DeFi sort of opened up a new means of investment for me because that's originally what drew me to it, but also just that the whole community of people are just so welcoming and they're very passionate and yeah, they're just not afraid to prop people up because I feel like in the traditional world, so much of everything that we do is based on credentials or connections or who you know. Yeah. And even the NFT space started like that as well. And when I jumped into crypto and DeFi, you know, I had no followers on anywhere, like on Instagram or Twitter, I had like zero followers, but people don't really care. I mean, this is obvious with all the anonymous profiles on there. You can literally not be a person, but as long as you're putting out good work, you know, they don't care what you look like, where you come from, who you know. If you're doing cool stuff, people will notice and not be shy about propping you up. And I think that's really sort of what changed my life about the space. And um, I'm really grateful. For it's that. cool because in the the NFT space, more than almost any other in crypto, the communities seem really supportive. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think about what's gone on in the last 15 years, really, even in the in the world, you know, decentralization has a lot of advantages, but it's a lot of disadvantage, right? We have this balkanization of the world. Sure. And in a lot of the crypto protocols, it's like war between, you know, one British soccer team and the next. And it's funny, you don't see that in, in NFTs as much. Right. Definitely, I mean, you look at like the Art Blocks community or your community, uh, you definitely see huge, you know, kind of support systems, which is which is a nice, you know, change of breath. Yeah, totally. I see it as almost an inversion of control, uh, where now it's sort of just this 
whole concept of like being creator first and you know supporting the underdogs and that kind of stuff, which I think is really cool. Which cuts into the crypto ethos, right? I mean, yeah. it's a little bit of you know screw the establishment. Speaking of the establishment, uh, two weekends, three weekends ago, <laughs> I drank too much again, and I with Emily and a few other crypto degens <laughs> crashed a pretty established uh, dinner party. Uh, that was amazing. I thought it was a cocktail party. It turned out to be a sit-down dinner for 80, two beautiful tables of 40, very fancy art people, and then they had a kid's table they set up <laughs> at the last minute for us. That was fun. But I threw Emily uh, to the lions and put her on stage, and, and she crushed it. But what I thought was really interesting, and you could talk about it, was in a really nice way, you kind of said, we don't really need you guys. Uh, these are the richest people in the world, literally the richest art collectors in the world. And she wasn't being rude. She was like, our community wants to cel celebrate our artists and support our artists. And the crypto community has gotten pretty damn wealthy. And so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, for a lot of people who maybe uh, were first acquainted with me or sort of like the, my magnum opus happened in March when I auctioned off one of my... It was my first NFT auction ever, actually, and it was a, an animated piece that I had made for the Uniswap V3 launch. And basically what happened was a, I guess all of my fans or internet friends who had known me throughout DeFi summer and appreciated my work and everything, and also obviously became wealthy through crypto and stuff, uh, came together and formed what is called a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. And uh, named it after me because this I guess this is the first time that this had happened where a DAO was formed just specifically to go bid on a piece and then so I guess this was sort of a really standout event to the entire community and really fell under the whole Ethereum um, ethos about you know decentralization community and collectivism and everything and so it was kind of a really special moment and I guess this is sort of what I explained over at that dinner was just People are through you know crypto now are able to pool together funds really quickly and efficiently um, in a way that was never possible in a traditional financial or just any kind of system. And so, yeah, in a way, it's like if this even applies to like film, right? So recently, I collaborated with like Linda Shea from Scalar Capital and um, her, the, this production team to um, that they're doing the Ethereum documentary. Yeah, crowdsource. We crowdsourced it um, using a series of NFTs that I had made, and we raised over two million dollars in awesome. forty-eight hours. And so, because if you've ever made a documentary, <laughs> it is brutal to raise two million dollars. It's a brutal, brutal task. It is, and so you know, like even now, I think sometimes there's often people like from the traditional world, like let's say the film industry or something, seeing that they think, okay, Web three is the future, and we want our seat at the table too. How do we? Play, you know, find somewhere to fit ourselves in. And so they maybe would come to me and be like, we want to produce something for you. You know, we can finance, like their, their angles, like we can finance it for you. And then I would, the same thing, tell them the nicest way. Like, I actually don't need financing because, you know, obviously with decentralization and crypto now, it's like, and I have my own audience. I think I can just do the same thing like I did for the Ethereum film, for example, and just drop NFTs and then it could be crowdfunded, you know? So I think it's interesting to note this sort of inversion of control or just sort of the shift in power from wealthy individuals to a collective I mean, I think still somewhat wealthy, but, you know, you don't have to be a gazillionaire to, 
you know, sort of dominate the film industry to do something cool, right? Yeah. And that's what makes this space so exciting. And that's similar to what I touched on so at that dinner. It's kind of cool, like, you know, if you think about Pleaser DAO, really the, one of the first DAOs to do, do one artist, and now it's grown into yeah. a much bigger organization or a bigger, a bigger fund. It's almost like a collective fund that sure. token holders own shares in. But also crowdsourcing the, the, the documentary, you're kind of cutting edge. Did you always grow up cutting edge? Did you have like <laughs> funky haircuts and like dye your hair purple? And I think I was always kind of weird probably growing up. And I do hope that, you know, growing up, even in school projects. And you stuff, grew up where? I grew up in, um, so I lived up until probably like end of elementary school when I was um, in Vancouver, like Canada. And then I moved back to Taiwan where I stayed until I was about 18. And then I came out to the U.S. for college. So I kind of split my time, you know. Is Taiwan, like, Korea's edgy. Like, I've, I've been to Korea a lot. I haven't been to Taiwan since my first baby was born, who's 26. Uh, and so it's a long time. Was growing up in Taiwan edgy at all? or I wouldn't say it, it was edgy. No. Yeah, so I don't think that location-wise I was growing up anywhere edgy. <laughs> but just in school projects and stuff, I always tried to do things in a more creative way. Maybe that's just how my brain works or... I find it boring otherwise. And so, yeah, hopefully it almost felt like, you know, very serendipitous for almost an accident that I fell into where I am today in the industry. But I, yeah, hopefully I won't take it for granted and continue to do new and cool things or cutting edge, as you would say. Talk about Pleaser Dow a little bit. Like they've done some cool stuff. Like tell people a little bit about it. Uh, so it's literally, yeah, a collective um, of prominent individuals within the DeFi space and crypto. Um, you know, there's a lot of like founders, builders, uh, passionate crypto Is people. it like a secret society? No one tells <laughs> who's in it. Kind of like skull and bones at you, Yale. You can actually see the full members list on their website. But I mean, yeah, because they sort of operate as a collective. So it's not like, you know, there are certain, you know, pretty prominent individuals in there. So I mean, Robert Leshner is in it. Suzu is in it. Um, I'm Stani from Ave, um, Leighton from Pull Together. <laughs> I mean, I could go on. Emily told me I could get into Pleasers about four months ago, and I like dropped the ball and I stumbled. <laughs> I was busy. It literally is. Talk about how crazy this space is. I had a, a a benefit for criminal justice reform of all things, but a bunch of NFT artists showed up for various reasons, and I got pictures of them. and And if I had just bought the NFTs, if I joined Pleaser now, right, Alex. Uh, Alexi Cherniak was there. Ringers were literally selling for almost nothing. And mm -hmm. now they're selling for millions. I know. it's so All crazy. in four months. Yeah, it's crazy. This space moves so fast. It's like crypto time dilation, right? One month on crypto feels like <laughs> yeah. six months in the real world. God, I'm getting old fast. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Don't worry. We're all going down together. <laughs> do you collect NFTs? I do. I, uh, outside of the, the Pleaser DAO. Sure, outside of Pleaser DAO. Um, yeah, I mean, just inside Pleaser DAO, I, just to sort of point out the main pieces that they've collected is the one of one by Edward Snowden for $5.5 million, the original Doge meme image that was collected for $4 million and recently fractionalized. Uh, they also obviously kind of collected my Uniswap piece, which is their first purchase ever. Um, and also the tour pro the one the one of one from the tour project by Xshells um, that one went for two million and uh, recently a new piece that 
I can almost talk about, but it's going to be huge. So. Almost talk yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> almost. It's 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 coming, but it's going to be. Everybody huge. get ready because it's going to blow you away. <laughs> Probably, uh, yeah. And then I am terrible at keeping secrets, and I've kept the secret. I'm so glad that you did. And <laughs> I'm the worst secret keeper on the planet. <laughs> Me too, actually. So, you know, I probably... Because we're people pleasers. <laughs> we are, yeah. It's just succumb to peer pressure, I guess. But on a personal level, I, I love just collecting. Honestly, not even as investments, just pieces that I think are cool. Uh, recently, I collected these really cute Pokemon illustrations. I also um, collected a few. I mean, I have two board Apes. Uh, I minted them, though, so I didn't, like, spend a lot of money on them, right. which is good. I used to have five, but then uh, I only have two now. We were saying Steph Curry today. <laughs> yeah, bought he an bought one. And made it his uh, his avatar, you know, his profile pic. And so when you think about culture, first Jay-Z with the CryptoPunk, and I told everyone, you got to buy a CryptoPunk, and I didn't <laughs> buy one myself like an idiot. Uh, and now Steph Curry. And so, you know, the biggest names in culture uh, yeah. Moving into our space, it's really freaking cool. I know. It was crazy when Mike Tyson uh, made his profile picture a cool cat, and it's still the cool cat. I, I think it's hilarious, first of all. But, um, yeah, it's it's honestly really wild because I think, you know, both I us, need to get a profile picture. <laughs> you now I'm panicked to pick the right one. I tweeted. I waited too long. I tweeted recently saying, if you're not using an NFT as your profile picture, you're not going to make it. <laughs> Trust me, I feel huge nervousness every night i'm gonna within the next two weeks i'm gonna have an nft as my profile pic yes uh people send me nfts myself but they're all kind of a little weird looking now I'm, i don't make nearly as good of a cartoon as i thought i would <laughs> well actually i recently went and splurged on an nft i spent 20 eth on this really dope piece of art by this taiwanese artist and then made it my profile picture so oh. that's my biggest flex i guess nice <laughs> nice um what's next uh, I don't know, actually, my, I think, you know, I was, you were saying like crypto moves so fast. I feel like, you know, I could think something and then the next day my life goes a completely different direction. I'm sure everyone in the industry relates to this, but I think my sort of North star or guiding light here is just to hopefully use my platform and my voice and area of influence to spread crypto positivity and elevate the community somehow. And just, yeah, like do cool cutting edge things that are not boomer and utilizes technology. Yeah, those are the kinds of things that I'm interested in. I keep telling people I identify as Gen Z, but damn it, my art collection is uh, is a little more boomer. I do actually have something coming up very, very soon, which you should come to the uh, dinner for, by the way. It's um, basically I did a collaboration piece with Steve Aoki, and uh, it's going to be a one of one where he he scored the music. I did the the visuals. And um, we're auctioning it off at Sotheby's um, fairly soon, sometime this month. And um, part of the proceeds are going to go towards, basically me and Steve are going to create like a vault that um, we're going to use to um, purchase NFTs from up and coming female artists. Because I also feel like this is something in the space that I really want to address is just why are there no other female art? I mean, there are, but just all the prominent like NFT artists are predominantly male. And I've I really want that to change because that's something that obviously happens in traditional art, like fine art world already. And well, we have a chance to um, set start new, over, yeah, start over, set new ground rules, right? So hopefully, um, the idea behind this fund is that uh, you know when Steve and I will like go and curate and then collect from, let's say, an up and coming female artist, and then we'll both he'll use his audience, I'll use mine. We can tweet and endorse them, and um, hopefully bring some light to their work and 
maybe change some lives. Who knows? I met Steve Aoki. I, I, I love the guy. He, uh, we honored him uh, at a wrestling benefit. His, his father, Rocky Aoki, was a great, great wrestler before he founded Benihana. <laughs> and so I had the whole Olympic team, and Steve jumped into one of his jumps, and then they were literally holding him like, like a young baby. <laughs> he's, so, he's so tiny in terms of weight, and these were giant wrestlers. But I have some amazing pictures. We actually should make it in that tease of like Steve jumping with the entire really? Olympic wrestling team. Is that where the inspiration for all his jumping photos no, comes I, from? No, he was already a jumper. <laughs> <laughs> I have to see these photos. <laughs> I'll show you. Uh, that's pretty awesome. What else do you want to talk about? Your, your mic. <laughs> Honestly, just, I think, just that kind of anything that, you know, like, what do you, what are some things that you hope to sort of use this, like, brand new canvas or playground known as Web3 to change in the space that's different from? It's interesting. Like, my big insight in the last few months is that crypto, until recently, until really the NFT boom, was about assets. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin as a hedge for the debasement of monetary policy, you know, the sure. debasement of fiat currency, other things that you're buying as assets because they could go up. And mostly because of NFTs, but also because the infrastructure, the layer one infrastructure is getting there. I think the world has recognized and why the prices have gone up so far that this is really a technology play, mm -hmm. that this is the internet of value transfer as opposed to uh, just an internet where information, you know, all went to zero. Sure. Right, where information became free. And that paradigm shift has hit every investor I know to say, wow, how do I get involved? Mm. And so there's an excitement right now. Prices are probably higher than they're going to, and they might come back down. Who knows? But there's absolutely an excitement. It's like career risk in this industry has been de-risked. Right. Because now it's not will it happen, it's about execution and how it will happen. Sure. But I think that all happened in the last four months. So to me, it's fascinating and it's, and it's really exciting. I've never been more optimistic on our business. Listen, like anything, these are tools and it's important that they're used to make the world better, not worse. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about blockchains all the time and I think about the blockchain China's creating and it just scares the shit out of me. <laughs> uh, totally. Right, okay, if I want to control my people completely, I'll have a completely centralized blockchain. Mm -hmm. And so just because it's called blockchain doesn't necessarily mean it's for good. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't come with its own morality. Yeah. Right. So it's the people who are building it and creating new ecosystems and models that have to that have the responsibility of imbuing a morality in it. And so that's something I'm watching carefully because it mm -hmm. sometimes gets lost in the the YOLO, you know, gambling culture of crypto. Yeah, uh, I agree. And in NFTs even. And it's funny. I don't think people should only buy and hold. Mm -hmm. Like I think, you, especially. I mean, I've I know people whose whole life savings have changed so I'm always like dude sell something just in case yeah totally. You, have you traded at all uh nfts yeah no I've never traded nfts I I also rarely trade crypto but that's just because I'm so bad at it <laughs> I know if I do it I'm gonna lose money actually you know that's a great you know I should just have somebody counter trade me and then we can balance out you know just split the difference after because just whenever I buy it's just gonna go uh down and then whenever I sell, it's, it's just going go right back up. That's just how it works. I don't know why. I don't make the rules. <laughs> so you're collecting your crypto. You're collecting your art collection. You sell a little bit to pay your rent. Uh. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Well, mostly most of the work I do now, I get paid in crypto, um, obviously. So 
yeah, I, that's all to say is I, I don't trade. Um, sometimes I sell because right. I need to use the money and that's it. <laughs> but that's just because I'm bad at it. If you have any tips, I would love to I know. tell every single young person <laughs> that has made money in crypto, sell enough to buy a house, borrow lots of money to buy the house, but put your down payment on, take some crypto profits, buy yourself a house. You'll never regret owning an apartment or a house. And with interest rates as low as they are, asset prices are going up. And so it's a little bit of a hedge versus everything else being digital. Got it. Maybe instead of spending $70,000 on a profile picture, I probably should have put it to <laughs> down payment. <laughs> I'll know for next time. What do your time. parents think about all this? I definitely did not tell them that I spent a down payment on a profile picture. Um, yeah, but true. I think they, they are mildly... Um, did you grow up middle class, working class, rich? Uh, um, I would say we're like middle, just a little bit above middle, you know, pretty... So, so 70000 for a profile picture will have your mother spitting at her coffee. She would definitely, I think, just raise at least an eyebrow for sure. I think they would just go, uh, why? And then I would have to provide a very reasonable explanation. But, you know, there's some room to give because I think this is new territory. So sometimes when I explain things to them, they'll be more okay with it. I think they're also just learning, right? Like the other day I told them like, oh, you know, those two monkeys that I own, like they're worth like over a hundred grand each now. <laughs> and my parents were just like, what? Why don't you sell them and stuff, you know? So I think they now know that sort of what they think are normal and what you should apply to, you know, what the world that they're used to is also not the same set of logic and rules that they should be applying to what I'm doing. So they're kind of sitting back and listening and observing, which is nice. Um, and they're just so supportive of what I do always, which I'm really grateful for. Are they walking around like, <laughs> you know, on their show? My mother would be walking around like this in the neighborhood. <laughs> they actually don't even have one. Um, and, you know, I asked to mail them one and they said, don't spend that much money on the postage. <laughs> but what's hilarious is my dad's profile picture on Facebook is now a picture of Bitcoin. Like that's his profile picture now. So I guess he's... He's slowly he, getting there. He's a believer now. It's a, it's a journey. You start with journey. Bitcoin, then you go on Ethereum, yeah. and who knows, you go right down the... Maybe it'll be an NFT in a few months. So we'll see. Well, that's impressive. Well, hey, thank you. This was great. Thanks for having me.